and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, your host. This week I am talking to David Wilson. David is an expert in education and in learning, and he's applied this widely to the area of, of tennis coaching. On this, he has he has presented at various ITF and Tennis Europe coaching conferences on subjects such as how we learn tennis and how best to coach tennis. During this chat, we talk a lot about uh, coach education and the coach education system in Ireland and how David sees ways that this could be improved and how this could be improved in order to produce more players and have more success within Ireland. We also touch on other issues within Irish tennis, for example, tournaments and how tournaments could become more meaningful and also how we could do a better job of of selling our sport. I really enjoyed talking to David, and I think there's there's a lot to take from this episode. A lot of a lot of interesting stuff that that we touch on. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. And with that, I will pass you over to David Wilson. All right, D- David. Firstly, thanks very much for 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 joining me today. Uh, just want to start asking um, if you could pick a superpower. What superpower would you pick, and and why? Oh my God, great start. Um, well, given that it's tennis related, I suppose my superpower would be not to have an injured back, which I've had for six or seven years. So it's not much of a superpower, but uh, it has stopped me playing tennis, unfortunately. So uh, I haven't been able to play uh, for, yeah, about seven years now. And um, like 100% fine walking around, doing everything else. But uh, unfortunately, it was a tennis injury. So uh any attempts to go back to play to any reasonable standards uh, just brings me back to a banjack state. So um, not, a, not a fantastic superpower, but if I could fix that, yes. I would be delighted. Well, yeah, it'd be as good a superpower as any if you could see exactly. back to tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I, I know um, kind of yourself in, in the coaching world mainly, but um, obviously, as you said, you do play. So just how, how did that tennis journey start for you? Yeah, so um, I suppose I'll give you, I can give you the quick two-minute summary because I'm sure nobody wants to hear my life story now. But uh, the quick uh, two-minute summary was that, yeah, played all junior tournaments um, like so many of the other people that you have spoken to and uh, got from that into coaching because when I was in college, it was just a sensible thing to do because it basically paid more than working in a okay. restaurant like my other friends. So got into coaching, found that I really loved it. Um, subsequently got into being a school teacher so coaching was something that I was able to keep doing then at the same time um, so went up through all the coaching courses in Tennis Ireland up through all the different levels so I was getting more and more involved in coaching as I was then starting the career as teaching um, and then a third angle kind of came into it which was I was doing lots of study um, myself in Trinity College I was doing loads of postgraduate stuff and that was all in the field of learning basically education so by the time I finished all of that I had kind of got the kind of higher levels of the coaching structure and at the same time was finishing kind of lots of research in education and learning so I ended up putting those two things together and was essentially in like invited to various coaches conferences and events because I was able to speak with a bit of tennis background with a bit of uh, education background so I was making presentations about things like how best to organize coaching lessons or how to structure a coaching program or how we can help people learn what is a pretty difficult sport uh, so all these kind of things so I was able to just put a few bits together that I had done 
and it landed me in this position where every so often now I get to go to these events and help people out. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's a nice combination of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, no, really good. Um, well, could you give kind of a, an, an example of two of, of the kind of things that you would have presented at those conferences that I guess would have connected your your interests of, of education and of, of yeah uh well i suppose one of the big ones at the moment that's that's kind of pretty topical is um there's a, there's a big drive at the moment around the world in terms of coaching to move away from this idea of of just directing people in in any sport but let's obviously relate this to tennis so you think of your classic tennis lesson and this is now whether we're talking a beginner or roger federer but the classic lesson 20 30 years ago would have been the coach as the expert telling the player lots of stuff now over years and years and years of research what, what's been pretty clearly shown is that when you fill a player's head with information and you just tell them loads of things it, it's not really very efficient because ultimately when the pressure's on in a match situation um, and we've all had this experience where you get a bit nervous your brain starts racing and everything just starts falling apart because your brain is trying to like kind of cling on to bits of information about what you should be doing in that situation. So the move over the last certainly seven, eight years has been towards coaching as a more kind of experimental discovery idea. So what you'd be doing is you'd be saying to a player, right, we need to work on your approach to the net during a rally situation. And you would practice those situations and you would help the player identify what areas they're weak on hope that they can try with your help obviously identify a few possible solutions train those solutions so what you're trying to do is all automate the learning process so that the player learns by um discovery so if you think the analogy would be when we all learn to drive a car that if we actually sat down and went through the 40 or 50 things that you have to do and try to memorize those you'd just be paralyzed when you get to a traffic light you just wouldn't literally be able to know what to do when the pressure's on so you're trying to get people to just learn through experience um so, so i know that's sorry a bit of a waffly explanation but yeah at things like coaches conferences that was one of the things i think that was in estonia at the tennis europe conference i think i presented that um and that's it, you know it's brilliant to do things like that because you're presenting the information but you have an audience in front of you of a couple of hundred best coaches in Europe as it was then um, and then of course you have the coffee break lunch going out in the evening and, and you're getting all of the feedback from them and learning more yourself so yeah there's lots of stuff like that which is great. Yeah no I wanted to kind of ask you that about being at those events and those experiences and, and as well as obviously presenting of, of, of what kind of stuff you would you would learn yourself like how, how much of a learning experience were those conferences for, for you as well? Uh, yeah well it's, it's actually a really interesting question because um, when I've been saying, just using that example, I went through there that that the whole model of like teaching and learning now is trying to move away from just the person at the front telling you what to do. And I mean, even anybody who's in school at the moment will know this, the whole rejig of the new junior cert, where it's all about doing projects yourself and working in teams. So the irony of these big conferences is that lots of them are still run in a way where there is one person standing up the front, just talking to the audience. So even though the governing bodies and all the coaching associations are trying to encourage coaches to coach in a different way, in a more efficient way. They still themselves tend to teach coaches in an old fashioned way. And um, so when you turn up as an attendee at one of these events, 
Um, I find personally the biggest benefit you get is actually not when you're sitting sitting there listening to people. I find it's when you're turning to talk to the person beside you and say, what did you think of that? Or what do you do where you're from? Or um, it's the coffee breaks, the lunch, the evenings, sitting around in the hotel. I mean, that's when I get a huge amount out of it. And not so much just what you get out of it, but you meet just incredibly interesting people. And I'd often say in some ways you go to those events and you could be talking to people who are coaching some of the best players in the world. And you actually realize, you know what? We know an awful lot of stuff in Ireland. Like we're actually better than we give ourselves credit for a lot of the time that you can be talking to somebody who, like I say, coaches a great player. And you're thinking this lad is a complete bluffer. Like he, he's, and you come back home and you're talking to people who know lots more. So um, there's lots to be learned, but also lots to give you encouragement because I think sometimes all of us are, are kind of passionate about Irish tennis and we all have our own little different niches and areas that we're interested in, but it, it's very easy to be negative. And I know sometimes we all end up on that horse of kind of, oh, tennis Ireland this or tennis Ireland that. But like in fairness, there's lots of great people involved. There's lots of really passionate people. We all want the same things at the end of the day. And, and there's lots of skills there. And we, I, I, for me, the biggest issue is we just don't work well together. We're, we're, it's, it's, it's stupid stuff. Like, uh, and we're all kind of almost competing with each other, even though we want to get the same result at the end of the day. You know, it's interesting you say that about, you know, speaking and, you know, to, to other coaches and, and you kind of realise all the knowledge that, that Irish coaches do have. What, why, I guess, what, why do you think, it is that all this knowledge is here, but maybe the success doesn't come on, on the course. What do you think is, is missing or what do you think is the, is the uh, difference? Yeah, well, I mean, look, we've been 50 years and, and probably the rest um, where, where this is the thing that everyone's been talking about. Because like to be fair to us as a country, I mean, for the vast majority of people who play tennis in Ireland, we, we do a really good job as a country. And, and that's just not that's not just waffle. I mean, the. The ITF did a, a global tennis survey in 20, well, it was produced, published in 2019, but it was from the figures from a year before that. And like, we came out incredibly well. Now, when I say incredibly well, the, the, the stuff they were looking at was things like the number of courts in a country, the number of uh, active players, the number of clubs, the number of coaches. And I mean, in all of those categories, we were like 30th, I think one of them, we were 41st in the world. And like, that's out of hundred and. 95 I think it was countries that did that so like in all of these categories we're, we're right up there with in the top quarter of the world we're, you think of things like the leagues that go on I know the DLTC here in Dublin is certainly over 100 years the schools competition certainly over 100 years think of parks tennis which is almost unique around the world that we have here think of enjoy tennis that's going on at the moment uh, players with intellectual disabilities visually impaired etc like there's, there's an incredible amount of really good stuff that's happening here. And, and all of that good stuff is, is what affects the vast majority of people who play tennis in this country. So if you're a beginner player, a recreational player, even a tournament player, if you're somebody who wants to get out, play a league match, play a tournament, like Ireland is a great country to be in. We have lots and lots of this stuff. And I know there's probably people listening, screaming at their iPhones at the moment about some disaster they had and a league match cancelled or whatever. But I'm just saying in general sense, going on the facts and figures the, the vast majority of people in this country are really well served now to actually answer your question the glaring problem is that we have this very small number of people who absolutely deserve attention and deserve support who are the people who are at the very top of the sport in this country and year after year after year in fact decade after decade we have yet to find a solution to help them achieve what what they want to achieve um and despite all of those great facts and figures, you, you could also look at 
that ITF Global report and, and the, the section in which we were completely invisible, which is the amount of players in Grand Slam main draws. And that is where Ireland appears or doesn't appear because I don't think they even put us in because we're zero. Um, so yeah, now look, to, to get to the answer, there are dozens and dozens of things. And this is where everybody with their own angle and their own opinion will, will throw out a different reason. I, I think, first of all, just the, the one issue that we need to be slightly realistic about, which none of us are going to solve, there is a resources issue. And I've had great sympathy for people over the last 40 years that I would have known who have tried to make inroads at the performance level. And that's whether they're coaches or parents or players. And uh, we do suffer from a lack of resources. Now, that's not an excuse not to try, uh, but it is a reality that's that's there. There is a lack of money in tennis in, in, in Ireland uh, compared to other countries. Um, so that's just one thing. But for me, that's more something I would mention and then put to the side because there's, there's no point allowing that as an excuse. Um, I suppose the other thing to put on the table and then we'll maybe get to some solutions is that there are a group of people, and this isn't an opinion that I agree with, but I think it's worth putting out here, is that there's a group of people who would say, well, why bother? They, they, they would argue, well, hang on a sec, we're all paying affiliation fees, we're paying tournament entry fees. And you know yourself, you enter a tournament as, and there's the little line of the capitation fee and you're paying this extra money. And so there's lots of people who would say, well, hang on, we're all paying all this extra money. And some of that is paying for like the National Tennis Centre or the performance players or whatever it, it might be going to. And is there an argument that why should we bother? Because if we have 100,000 people playing tennis in this country, and what would you say, 100 are, are at that elite level who are trying to make a living out of it? And that's probably even exaggerating it. So what, I mean, 100 out of 100,000, I'm now sorry I said those numbers because I'm trying to desperately work it out in my head. That's not even 1%. That's, that's you know, ten, a tenth of 1%, I think. So like, you could argue, why are we putting resources towards those players? Could, could we suggest that they, and by the way, I don't agree with this, but there are people who say, why don't they just fund their own training, head off to academies in Spain, and all of the money in tennis in Ireland should go towards recreational players and clubs? Now, okay, there's people who say that. I, I would argue that, no, we're doing the right thing. I think sport is competitive. I think if we are encouraging people to push themselves, to excel themselves, the natural extension of that is that when people do get to the top of the tree in this country, that we should be there to support them and encourage them and, and help them progress. Yeah. So then to get to your actual question, which I know you asked about seven minutes ago now, which is um, why uh, is that not happening? Okay, so from my point of view, I focus on two things because they're the two things that I feel I can offer something on. And I feel, first of all, coach education is a big role. I don't believe we're ever going to have a top 100 standard player until we have a top 100 standard coach. I think it's the cart before the horse. Um, I think coaches are underserved in this country. Uh, the training of coaches is, uh, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. I think we have incredible raw materials here in terms of coaches. If you think of almost any coach you have ever encountered, they are young, energetic, active, enthusiastic, motivated. Like we have an, you know, an incredible population in this country, even in terms of things like the vast majority of people in this country finish secondary school. A huge proportion of people in this country go on to third level. And you might argue, well, that's got nothing to do with being a tennis coach, but it just signals the fact that people take learning seriously. And therefore, we have a phenomenal raw material in terms of the people in this country. You add into that then the fact that these are people who have decided they want to coach a sport, which by definition means that they are people who want to help others. Um, 
And I just feel that they're underserved. I feel that the, the coaching uh, courses uh, have room for improvement and I'm not having a go at any person. I think the people involved in the coaching courses are often some of the most motivated and uh, people out there and who want to get the actual best. Um, but I feel the whole package of coaching uh, training isn't uh, as good as it could be. And I mean, we can go back right through the history of it and I'll summarize it in about 30 seconds, but like we've gone from system to system to system where, and I could have the order of this slightly wrong, but there was a time for about a decade where we were following the LTA, the British system, and we used all of their materials and we said, right, let's go. They have all the stuff done. We'll train our coaches the same way. And then there was a movement away from that because the powers that be at the time weren't happy. And we suddenly took on the Canadian coaching system and we had all the Canadian manuals and we're like, oh, Canada are great. Let's do that. I think we then moved to the Belgian system. And so now the latest thing is we're moving, as far as I'm aware, to the ITF system. Um, and, and all that keeps happening is, as far as I can see, that we're, we're doing a system. It, it happens for a period of time. That sort of runs out of fashion, out of taste, or people just decide it's not working and we just go to a whole new one. And what's missing for me in this whole equation is this, it's just this fixation on the course, on the materials, which actually okay, they're a piece of the pie. If you're trying to make the best coach in the world, obviously the content is a piece of the pie, but it's only one piece of it. Uh, but it's not, But for me, we're, we're kind of leaving out, as far as I can see, lots of the other pieces. So for example, we all, let's say most people who I assume are listening to this, maybe have done or are doing the leaving cert here in Ireland. So we all did the same course, but we all had very different experiences because we were all in different environments. We all had different teachers. We all had different people sitting around us. And so what determined how well we all did wasn't the course, because we all did the same course. What determined how well we did was all of that other stuff. So if you're training to be a coach here in Ireland, for me, in some ways, what the course is, is just a skeleton to hang everything else on. But we, it seems to be the one thing that we fixate on all the time. And we seem to think, oh, now we've got this new course, that's going to fix everything. But we still have the same environment and the same people and the same, like everything else has stayed the same. Um, so I think coach education is hugely important until we have some of the best coaches in the world in this country, which is totally possible, by the way, because we do have some of the best coaches in the world in other sports. So there is no reason why we can't have that in Ireland. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, we're not going to be going anywhere in terms of producing a player. Like we might get the odd outlier. M maybe something might happen where, and if it does, it'll likely be a player who just themselves goes off to, an academy in Spain or Florida and trains there for four or five years and then breaks into the top 100. And look, wouldn't that be great? I think we'd all love a top 100 player, however it happens. But for it to happen in any sort of sustained way, I think number one on the agenda is, is coach education. It just, you know, on that, on, on coach education, um, you mentioned obviously the different systems, that like the, the, the content being the skeleton. Well, what do you think are the other pieces of pie that, that need to be added in? Like, what, what do you think needs to or could change or could, that would help. Okay, well, let me, let me say this. If we, if we had a blank piece of paper and we said, right, we want to help develop some of the best tennis coaches in the world. And the question was on our blank piece of paper, what would you put down? What, what would those people need to have done to have become the, some of the best coaches in the world? So I would go through a whole list of things. I would say that those people would need to have traveled with players to tournaments. Those people would need to have had experience of sitting courtside, you know, in a Davis Fed Cup type scenario, working through a match with a player. 
I think those players would need to have had experience of going together to tournaments and charting matches. I think those people would need to have had kind of opportunities to uh, work with players over a period of time, you know, that this would be part of the course where they would work with a player over a, a periodization session for three months leading up to a tournament, recorded the whole thing, uh, assessed how the thing went, how the whole process went. So I suppose what I'm saying is I, I feel that there is lots of stuff that you would hope somebody would have done to, to get them to the point where they're, of a high enough standard and the difficulty is with when you look at the traditional courses even at the moment even the likes of the new itf courses which content by the way seems to be very positive but it's still framed in this thing of i think the first level is something like 28 hours so it has like the course a bit of an outline of it and it says 28 contact hours now as soon as you put hours on something you're immediately kind of putting a question mark in there because let's imagine we had six or seven people who were sick and we said right you're all going to hospital and in five days you're all going to be discharged like as soon as you put a time frame on it you're assuming that everybody is going to react the same way but obviously in our hospital environment a couple of them will be better two days later a couple of them will still be sick in five days and the same with coaching if you say 28 hours we're going to turn you from somebody who has a bit of an interest in tennis to a great coach well like now it's destined for failure when we have this 28 hour thing because we'll get to 28 hours and yeah, some of you will be great coaches, but some of you might've been great coaches after 10 hours, whereas others after 28 hours won't be anywhere near being a decent coach. So it's this issue of like sticking to a course because it's not personalized learning then in any way. What you're doing is you're picking an average, you're pitching a course content at the middle ground at an average, and you're hoping that what comes out at the end is going to be good, but it can't be because that course is going to be good for some people, not good for others. And the proof of the pudding, you can see uh, every week of the year here in Ireland, because we have technically a coach structure where there's different levels, but there isn't really a coach, coach structure because you can go through all of these levels, but then let's say, for example, a co the National Tennis Centre needs a coach, which you would imagine is like the top level of coaching in Ireland. Like, Quite often, as far as I can see, when, when there's a vacancy in the, at the National Tennis Centre, that will go to somebody who maybe not, hasn't gone through all of the levels. Maybe somebody who's a recently retired player and they go straight in and start working there. And I'm not by any means having to go with them. But I'm just saying, what does that say about our belief in the coaching structure then? That if, we're, if we genuinely believe that we're offering a top quality coaching structure with all of these levels, then would it not be fair to say that somebody who goes through all those levels and comes out at the other end should be the top coaches in the country? And if they're not, then for me, we have to go back and question the courses then and say, well, what's missing? Why isn't it a case that the people who have just finished the top level course, why are they not the ones straight away going into the National Tennis Centre to take the top players in this country? And if somebody can answer that and say, well, it's because they don't know enough of this or they don't know enough of that, well, this and that needs to be in our training courses then. Um, and, and so therefore we have this kind of scenario where coaches themselves, I think would say, or some coaches, sorry, I shouldn't be speaking on behalf of other people, but I've certainly had some people had, I've had the conversation with them where they might feel demotivated as coaches because they might feel they've done everything that's been asked of them, done all the courses, gone to all the events, but then they feel they're left outside a little bit. And, and there's a perception of maybe a bit of a closed shop that, Every time there's a position, let's say at the tennis center, or if there's an interprovincial team to be captained, or it, all these little bits and bobs that go with coaching, might very often all 
you know, all often be seen to go to a same small group of people, even though some of those people may not have gone through the system. Um, uh, and, and by the way, I'd be in total agreement. If I was running the National Town Centre and I had a, a vacancy, I would want the best person and I wouldn't care necessarily what they had gone through. But that to me paints the picture that then what they have gone through is not good enough, that I would go back then to step one and I'd say, right, I want to create a system so that whoever comes out the end of that process at the end of, at the, of this has all of the attributes that I think we need. Yeah, yeah. Now, in terms of of kind of, I guess, summarizing these, I guess, the, these views on on the coach education system, I think you have three C's that would would look at, I guess, the main points. So we just go through those those main points, th- uh, three C's to, to sum it up. Yes. And you might need to remind me of this because I think I wrote that a while ago, but uh, I would certainly say collaboration was one of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, this is a little quiz for me here. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, collaboration, because I mean, I, I think, and now I'm, I know I'm going to waffle about this for a few minutes, so you might have to get me back on track after, but I know we're, we're kind of focusing on the performance side of things here because it's, it's the one little chink in Irish tennis that we haven't yet kind of totally cracked. Um, but I just look here, I'm based in Dublin, and, and certainly within a few miles of where I am, there's at least four or five clubs that are running some version of a performance squad or an elite squad or or whatever and it's just absolute madness and and not madness for any of them individually coaching at the end of the day is a career and um people are making a living out of it and and there's a marketing kind of side to that where where some you know i think it sounds good to call your squad performance or elite it might attract certain players but when we look at it from the big picture if, if you're interested in irish tennis you would say hang on a second folks we're a small country we absolutely, if we're ever going to produce world-class players, we're not going to do that with everybody competing with each other. And it's complete insanity from, from the big picture point of view to have four or five or six clubs all within a few miles radius of each other, all pulling players in different directions. And it might work out individually well for, for some of the coaches there and more power to them. As I say, it's their job and it's not my uh, role to be telling them what they should and shouldn't do. But it's a shame that that at a performance level that there isn't more collaboration because we can't produce players unless we have all of those top players or as many as possible training together. Um, so yeah, collaboration would be a big one. Go on, uh, you're going to have to remind me, Adam, what yeah. I wrote. Well, just on that, how would well, yeah. you, how would you, um, I guess, see see that improving? See collaboration, more collaboration in, in that kind of respect that, that you were mentioning there. Okay, well, there's two ways of approaching that, and and there's probably the nicer way, and then there's a the bit of a hardball way. So the nicer way is that you would hope that coaches themselves might see some benefit in working together. So let's imagine we have five clubs close enough to each other, five different coaches, and they're all running their performance program. Now, none of those coaches are making an income just from running a performance program. So they're all running other elements as well, whether it's mini tennis or teenagers or adults or whatever it might be. I mean, there would be a huge logic in terms of player development in certainly the performance players coming together. And that might be, for example, that for a six week training block, those performance players from all five clubs come to my club and I train them. And and in that six week block, I'm working on something specific and I'm working on something that is my strength in coaching. So previously, before this started, I've got together with the five other coaches and maybe I've said, you know what, I'm really good at the physical, the fitness side of things or whatever. Maybe another coach really good at the mental side of things, or maybe you break down technique, tactics, whatever it might be. And they're doing their training block with me. 
six weeks later, they're gone to another coach and they're we're all working together. Now, bear in mind, the other benefit of them all coming together is in these six week blocks, they all now have other people to practice with. So it's not just about the coaching. It's that in that time period, they're playing with each other, practice matches, playing tournaments together, whatever it might be. Um, now that shouldn't affect any of the coaches financially, because bear in mind that if I have all of the performance players, that means that some of my tournament players or teenager players or adult players are getting to go to your club and you're going to take them. So this collaboration doesn't just need to be at the performance level. And in fact, if we do it at other levels, it, it gives everybody new people to play against, new experiences of where to play, new coaches that they can interact with. And nobody kind of loses out because we're all still coaching the same amount of people. But the benefit is particularly at the performance level where you get this extra training with extra people of a higher standard. Um, the other benefit of, of collaboration is where we go above another step above, which is where you get somebody then who's either involved in the provincial, so Leinster, Munster, Ulster, Connacht or Tennis Ireland, who now is able to communicate and say, right, can we have a unified approach? Can we have it so that all of our players are doing X, Y and Z? And can we have them all doing it in this order? Can we have them all prepared for this tournament that's coming up? Because at the moment, everybody is just doing different stuff. And every coach, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't say everybody because I don't know what everybody is doing, but lots of people are, are doing lots of different things. And that can't be good for the bigger picture. It can't be good that there are 10 kind of performance players, if you want to call them that in one club, doing totally different things to 10 in another. And yet, if we're picking a, a Munster team, a Leinster team, an Ireland team, they're going to come from all of these places. So you, I can't think of any other sport where that would happen, that we're so disparate and split up and all just doing our own thing. But yet we all then need to come together at some point to try and achieve a common goal. And it's, it's just not doable. So the, the positive way of achieving this is, is the hope that coaches might come together. It might involve cooperation from clubs, to allow other people to come in into their club, etc. Um, so that's the nice way. The hardball way, which maybe, I don't know, would people want to go down this route, but do bear in mind the Tennis Ireland are the governing body. And as the governing body, they have some advantages. So, for example, if we have an international tournament here in Ireland, ITF event or something like that, Tennis Ireland have wildcard slots available to give. Tennis Ireland can select players to represent Ireland. Now, you could take the hardball view so let me give you the, the parallel of the likes of rugby. So anybody who's any interest in rugby might know that the decision was made, look, if you sign for an English club or a French club or something like that, if you leave Ireland to play for your club, that's it. Your Ireland days are over and um, you're not going to play. And that took a few years of hardball from Irish rugby uh, and a few years where some good players were gone. People might remember Johnny Sexton went to France, et cetera. Um, but the message got out and, and the end result was, right, if you want to play for Ireland, you join in with the Irish system. So let's do a parallel with that, with, with tennis in Ireland, that the difficulty at the moment is I could, if I'm a top junior, I could decide to snub tennis Ireland completely and say, I'm going to go to my own private coach. I'm not going to get involved in any of your stuff, tennis Ireland. But yet you're, you might still pick me to play for Ireland if you're tennis Ireland. You might still give me a wild card. So the, the, the hardball approach for me, which isn't necessarily positive or great but it is an option would be for tennis Ireland to say well we have our system and we think we have confidence and faith in our system and it's well developed and we want you to play with us and if you're going to choose to go to your own private coach that's fine we you know can't stop you doing that but you won't be getting wild cards into tournaments we won't be selecting you for Ireland 
uh, you know, there are, I suppose, the, the, there are carrots and sticks there that that a governing body has available to them in their armory. And, and that could take a few years of being sort of, you know, of tension and stuff like that, or picking a national team where you know you're leaving out somebody who's actually good enough. But is the argument that it might only take a, a year or two of that before people say, okay, we, we need to stick with the national system. Now, the big caveat of that is that the national system then has to be very good. And I think that's the kind of part of the difficulty at the moment that there are players who are picked to be part of the national squad and all that who just choose not to join it. And unfortunately, that says something. It, it says that um, they don't value the, their participation in that. Now, I should say that's not necessarily always due to the program itself. Often, I presume it's the location. I certainly know a few people who might have been chosen and and just to get to DCU was just a nightmare. And they're like, here, I just can't do this. So it wasn't really a reflection on the program. It was a reflection of where it is. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think we have to have some element of collaboration. We've got to have some element of, of unity together because we're too small a country and we're not... If if our goal is to, to get players into the top 100, it's not going to happen the way we're going at the moment. Yeah, right, collaborate. So after uh, you had community, it was your next C. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that, I suppose the reason, sorry, that had left my mind was more because that's probably at the level down below what we're talking about here, um, where like a big part of this is, is just building this pyramid of, of having a huge base of players uh, below uh, and the, the logic, of course, is that the bigger the base you have at the bottom, then the more players are likely to progress up to the performance level. And we definitely do seem to have a problem, particularly the kind of teenage kind of years of, of leakage of players just kind of leaving the sport and going to other things. And, and that sea of community I was talking about was just that almost thankless job where, where you're really relying on those incredible volunteers and committee members in clubs all across this country to just keep going and keep giving any opportunities for, for people to keep playing this sport because just the epidemic that we have at that level is coaching, 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 is, is players whose parents sign them up for a coaching once a week and that's the only tennis they play. And at the end of the day, te like coaching isn't tennis. Like we need people to play tennis more and it's great to go to your coaching once a week. But if you're going to coaching once a week, you'd hope you'd be playing at least once a week as well. Um, but lots of players at that age would report that there isn't really a chance for them to play. There isn't because they're playing other sports in their school. They get back to their club. It's dark. It's weak. You know, the evenings, they're not allowed to play in the club or you can't play after seven o'clock. And that kind of sea of community that you're talking about is just that idea of being credible of clubs, schools, any organizations that have young people there can make any opportunities for, for people to play. And it seems like like almost a, a kind of a stupid thing to be asking when you look at our the facts and figures we talked about at the start of all the incredible stuff that is going on, whether it's, uh, like I say, I mean, some of the oldest tennis competitions in the world are our schools competitions and the Dublin leagues and parks, tennis, uh, all these amazing things. But the more we can do, the better, because the more we can have people playing this sport, it's not only a case of funneling then a few of those to the performance level, but you got to fast forward then to 10 or 15 years, because if we can keep somebody playing the sport who's 15 or 16, when you fast forward 10 or 15 years, they are the people who are going to be the committee in their club and getting their kids involved in tennis. And um, so sometimes I think we can get focused overly on the, the performance side. 
but massively important that we maintain the, the brilliant stuff that we're doing with the community tennis. Yeah, so it's it's really looking at, at grassroots and just participation of, of having as many people playing as possible is, is what you're looking at with, with community. Absolutely, yeah, totally. Um, and then the final one then, commitments. Yeah, I, I think I kind of half mentioned this when I was talking about the, this idea of like in the coach ed, for example, that like we have this... Um, these kind of coaching courses and stuff, but like we don't seem to really believe in them um, in the sense of, as we were saying, when somebody comes out the other end and then we don't actually recognize them as being a top coach. Um, but you could do that across the board with lots of stuff. I, I, I think commitment for me also involves stuff like that. When you think of um, our top juniors, for example, and, and look, they've got to put a huge amount into this, but there's very clearly different levels of, of, of commitment from our players. And I'm talking people who might be now involved in the National Tennis Centre and stuff and the top 15, 16 year olds. And um, you can see some, for example, who've taken a year off school. And there's certainly been a few who've done that in the last few years. And like, that's a serious level of commitment there. And whereas others uh, on the other side of the coin are still playing high level other sports when they're 16, 17 and also playing tennis. So you're half thinking, hang on, like we've we've such a limited amount of resources that we can offer uh, in terms of money, in terms of coaches, that that for me, we need to make the commitment to the people who are going to do likewise. And I, I think that's a very difficult thing because it might involve a player who's been in a national system for three or four years saying, look, good luck, we, we need to part ways here. Um, but, but we are so limited in what we can offer. And I feel sometimes we're spreading ourselves very thin and it looks like resources are being given to players who don't seem to meet that standard for, for me. And maybe that's just a, a judgment, but I've certainly a couple of times, what would stand out in my mind is, is watching junior fits, for example. And I've an incredibly clear memory about two years ago of seeing one uh, player and like the level of effort they were putting in was minus zero. They were literally just tanking the match in a strop. And I, it just infuriated me to think of the hours and the time and the resources that I knew had been put into that player. Um, look, maybe that player was just having a bad day, but um, I think we are so limited that we need to be very specific about what we're committing and who we're committing to. Yeah, and that, that actually moves moves on kind of nicely just to a couple of other points on, on Irish tennis from a, kind of an article that you wrote a few years ago about things I guess you'd like to, to see in Irish tennis. And, and one, yeah. obviously, you, you talked a lot about about coaching, coach education, which I guess we've mm. we've touched on. Um, another point was that idea of, of junior fits, William, the, the junior championships, and and what could maybe be done a little bit differently with that. Would you mind just um, touching a little bit on, on, on that? Yeah, and, and I think, uh, to be fair, there are moves to, to make some changes here, but <clears throat> mm. I mean, I'll just tell you some of the stuff that, that infuriates me. <laughs> I'm going around here now, but I would rock in, because my nine to five job, as I say, is I, I'm a school teacher and I work a bit in a university so over the summer I'm, I'm kind of pretty free and I would rock into junior fits and watch some of the people that I teach in school playing um so simple things like I would be watching a match two players go onto a court they seem to have been told that they can have a three minute knockup maybe four they have some of the helpers shouting at them up from well sorry that's making it sound like they're being aggressive but certainly you know talking down to them from up on the, the viewing areas telling them you know you need to get started you need to get started now I just feel as the national championships, it's it's unacceptable to rush players through a match like that. I think it's unacceptable to have players playing a match. It, I think it's 7 a.m. an exaggeration. They, there were certainly matches at half seven. I think that's totally unacceptable for national championships. 
I think it's completely unacceptable to have players standing around being told that they're playing at one o'clock and matches not going on until five, six o'clock. And, and this, I, I know if you raise this point, sometimes the answer will be, ah, sure, look, they're used to it and blah, blah, blah. But I think what I often come back to is not the player who's going to win junior fits. I, what I'm often focusing on is the player who will get one match in junior fits, who's played all summer, maybe isn't that talented or hasn't had the time or whatever. And, and this is their World Cup to be in there and they're dressed up and the family has come to watch them. And it's just unacceptable the way some people have been treated as, as and I'm, you know, I feel myself getting angry even talking about it, uh, how strongly I feel about that. Now, I know sometimes people will say, oh, there's lots of entries and this, that, and the other, but like there's solutions to this. There's easy ways to solve this, which is you run this event in different clubs or you have less events in it. I mean, there's multiple different ways. What it all boils down to is there's too many matches in too short period of time in one location on too few courts. So it's just a maths problem. I mean, you can it's easily resolved, but people need to be treated fairly, which is that if we're trying to say that this is the pinnacle of junior tennis and therefore you should be getting up and you should be stretching and you should prepare, you can't be playing a match that early in the morning. You can't be rushing through a three or four minute knockup. Um, you can't be standing around for hours on end because the matches were scheduled for one hour gaps when everybody who's ever played the sport knows that that's not long enough. And here we are in the biggest tournament of the year. And, and it seems like we're ignoring the fact that matches don't last an hour. Um, so I just feel that tournament is, is absolutely crying out for some changes. And I know lots of the people who've won various events in that over the last few years and Look, they've had a great week and that's fantastic. But the vast majority of people who play in every tournament, as we know, lose at some point. And it's hugely disappointing that those people leave sometimes with a sour taste in their mouth, not just because they lost, uh, but because they feel they were treated badly. Yeah. And just to tie that into another point, um, which is kind of the idea of selling our sport, which is another point that you mentioned, I guess, is is that something you'd tie in with with that tournament in particular, being the, the pinnacle of, of the junior calendar? Of, of selling or maybe making a bit more of a, of a deal around the sport uh, around the tournament as well yeah I definitely I, I think promoting the sport is a slightly trickier one because it's, it's definitely one that's somewhat out of our hands in that you would hope at some point that some level of uh, I mean it certainly used to happen it was a case certainly that the Irish Times Irish Independent every day of junior fits would be producing results and a little paragraph and I don't think that still happens um I think maybe it does on finals day or, or whatever, but what's in our hands certainly is things like social media and stuff where everybody involved uh, has an opportunity to promote the, the tournament that's there. Um, so that, yeah, I, I definitely think in any way it should be promoted. I think individual clubs should make more of the fact that their players are playing in the event. Mm. There's certainly one or two clubs I can think of who would be very good at that. And that when one of their players might get to a semi-final or a final, you'd often see seven or eight club members coming in uh, to watch and I think that's a really good sign of a club um, so I, th- I think individually yeah we should all be trying to promote this as much as possible but I think at the same time there's a bit of an acceptance that uh, tennis isn't a sport that gets much attention and I know certainly where I work we, we joke about playing schools tennis finals and you'd be lucky if one man and a dog turns up I mean we'd get a few parents and that about that would be about the extent of it and you're standing there raising the cup, biggest achievement of the year, and there's a, a ripple of applause from the three people kind of in front of you. So it, it is hugely disappointing that our sport doesn't get um, much attention or um, 
that, that people aren't generally aware of it. Um, and, and like, yeah, anything we could do, I think, to promote it, um, it w- would definitely be helpful. Yeah, no, I know it's a, a hard question, but you say that about selling the sport. Are there any points you'd, or any kind of ideas you'd have of, of how we could do that better? Um, yeah, well, I kind of think we, we probably don't harness the likes of social media very well. I don't think we harness clubs and schools enough because, <clears throat> like I say, I, I would feel that it would be great to be telling clubs, okay, you have seven players in junior fits. Can you circulate all of your members and tell them when your club members are playing? And you'd hope then that 10, 15, 20 people might come from the club to watch their club member. You could be circulating schools the same way going, do you know you have six players in the Irish Junior Championships start next week? Here's the times of their first matches. Will you circulate that to all of your school members? So for example, if you think of a club that might have seven, 800 members, if all of them get a message saying on Saturday at two o'clock, Johnny, Mary, whatever is playing the Irish Junior Championships, it's free admission, come on in. Like, because I, I suspect a lot of, of your average tennis players might be slightly intimidated. They think, well, am I allowed going to Fitzwilliam? Are you allowed just walk in there? And if every club was telling every member about when their, their fellow members are playing, if every school was telling all their pupils when, like, you just think if you spread that message out to those tens of thousands of people, surely we would have an extra hundred people in there. And like an extra hundred people is pretty much doubling the amount of the crowd on a, on a on a given day so just simple things like that for me which i don't think are being done and certainly don't appear to be done um would be very straightforward and but they do it does tie into some of the points i was making you can't say that Eva will be playing at two o'clock on saturday attract loads of her club in and then she doesn't get on the court till seven o'clock i, I mean that's what i'm saying about being unacceptable we need some kind of element of of tying the organization in with the promotion because otherwise it falls flat in its face yeah yeah um, and just another point on, on on irish tennis is another point you had um in that was to make tournaments more meaningful and i think mm. it, you're particularly talking i guess not not, not as, as specifically about junior tournaments maybe senior tournaments and getting elite players so just would you mind yeah. just i guess explaining a bit about, about what you were talking about there yeah, I, I'm loving this, by the way. It's just random um, things that annoy me, and I love you just teeing me up to have a go at it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I just feel that you go through the summer and you can go to uh, – yeah, and you're right, I'm probably talking senior tournaments here and, and some of the bigger ones. Um, and I basically feel like I've never seen any of the best players in Ireland playing in them. Maybe never is the wrong word. It's rarely, I think, would probably be a better way of putting it. And I do accept, like, the – Players are very busy and, and the best players in the country deserve full support. Of course they do. Like they're traveling to the back of beyonds, like in very tough conditions in foreign countries and on their own. And like, that's a whole other area that we need to support them. But I do think for the development of the sport, the people who are the best players in the country who are being picked on Davis Cup, Fed Cup, kind of should be appearing in, in tournaments because even from that trickle down effect um, that you can see in any aspect of life, that that those best players need to be playing tournaments so that the players below them get to play against them. And then that drags everybody up standard. Whereas we're not doing ourselves a a service if we don't have that happening. And I know it's easy because I suppose everything I'm talking about, all of these ideas and stuff, it's really all looking at the big picture. And and you could pick an individual player and say, oh, well, she's traveling here than ever and she's tired when she comes home or she's doing whatever. And so on an individual level, it, it, you can see how there's a logical argument for that player not to play in 
the Open in whatever club it might be. But we've got to look at the big picture and say, right, we need some way of encouraging that or facilitating that to happen because we want the best players in tournaments so that, like we say, that the level below that get a chance to play them so that people can turn up and get enthused about tennis in Ireland and go, oh, there's that person that I'm seeing on social media who was playing last week in Turkey or whatever. Like, they've got to be playing. So to, to get them playing, we've got to create some kind of system which enables that to happen. And whether... That's, uh, again, the softball or the hardball. It depends which kind of way you want to go. And we either try and facilitate by uh, helping that player arrange a calendar or their schedule around it so that they'll be available for the week. Do we do some system where we say, right, there's eight tournaments in the year and we pick eight tournaments and we say we expect every one of you people to play at least two of them or at least three of them. And if you don't play that number, you are not eligible for selection for Davis Cup or Fed Cup. Like, do we, do we involve some kind of level of, of, of kind of uh, situation like that? So like there's different approaches of, of making this happen, but I just think it needs to happen because it's, it's hugely disappointing. I think when you think of any open tournament and anyone who's been involved in running an open tournament, junior or senior, it's a mountain of work. Like it's a really tough scenario. And everybody who does this, who goes to the bother getting sponsorship, who gives up their club for a week, gets all the volunteers in the club to help, I think we deserve to have the best possible players we can there. And and nobody is asking for players to be playing these week in, week out. Um, but I think it would be reasonable to expect that our top players are playing two or three uh, tournaments. And and some are, by the way, this isn't a blanket. I know some do, but the more, the better. Yeah. yeah and just, I guess, on that as well, the, the one time that I have experienced that is is in the Interprows last summer when, you know, the, you know, they have Leinster, Connacht, whatever. And I, and I think that is the time when, those top players do play. And I guess if we could get that kind of situation a little mm. bit more, we'd, we'd be doing well. That's right. And, and, and I totally agree with you. And the only slight disappointment of that is don't forget that <clears throat> playing the Interpros, albeit being great, it's a slightly cocooned event in that it's all everyone together in sort of one venue. And you could argue it's not hugely public. And part of it for me would be, I'd love that idea of random club member can turn up little you know junior seeing whatever club member and see the best people in their club playing a tournament um yeah. and i think the interpros while being a great event there is a big social element to that as well and uh, and there's an argument that it's something that lots of players enjoy and rightly so and great that they're playing um but i think i'd love to see them in a regular club open tournament as well for everyone else to be able to watch them play yeah no for sure for sure um now, just uh, just before we move on to a, a final couple of questions, are there any kind of summarising words, any final words you'd like to to make on on Irish tennis? Uh, my God, that's a tough one now and, <laughs> and a dangerous one because I might go here for about forty minutes. I think, well, I suppose I'll end up repeating myself because I because uh, I suppose that's the nature of a summary. Is that I think it's hugely important first of all that we are positive about the situation, and I I definitely am not on that uh, scenario of people kind of just having a go all the time and and sort of expecting that somebody else is going to solve all our problems because i think anyone who and i have no kind of i don't work for tennis ireland or have any kind of connection there whatsoever um so i'm only saying it out of some slight knowledge of what goes on which is that there's people working incredibly hard to try and achieve an awful lot um with very limited uh, resources so I think, first of all, we absolutely should be patting ourselves on the back for lots of the incredible stuff that goes on in this country in tennis. Um, and I think we have to come to the kind of 
hopefully conclusion that if we want to tick that final box off that that box of also producing some performance players this involves us all doing our part and there is kind of too much at the moment of people who want that top thing to happen just constantly giving out about other people and we're not going to get anywhere it, it, and of course it needs some leadership and it will need some work from tennis ireland but it needs sacrifices from other people as well and and that idea of, of us all working together pooling resources bringing anything we can to it um is our only hope because it's we're too small to to for any of us to do this on our own yeah absolutely absolutely uh, just uh just before i i let you go david um just obviously you, you've 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 traveled a good base to these conferences and um, presenting. If I, if I asked for the best place you've been or a best somewhat tennis related trip, would, would anything spring to mind? Um, actually, the last one I went on was brilliant. Was uh, I was in Thailand last October. That was the World Coaches Conference. Um, when I say uh, last October, that was obviously October 2019. Um, <clears throat> so that really stood out because uh, it was a really good event, really well run. So the World Coaches Conference is uh, the ITF uh, run that it's uh, and and it could literally be anywhere, um, and that was a really good event. Uh, good people at it, good speakers, but uh, like I'd kind of mentioned at the start, um, huge benefit of like the chats with other people around. Um, I think it probably also stands out because it was the last chance to do anything, and it was only shortly after that the whole world shut down. Um, but no, really nice people, great country. I had never been there before. Um, I was presenting at it and actually my presentation was a, a bit disastrous, which um, I'll explain in a minute if you want, but um, the, uh, the conference itself, yeah, really, really good. And just, as I say, I think that there's the big thing a lot of the time is that you, you get to just chat to some of these in, incredible people who have achieved great things. Uh, and then you might hear three months later, you, you watch French Open or something on TV and you see them sitting then in the coach's box and you're like, oh, wow, okay. Or even on a lower level, um, I remember sitting at that conference through a presentation about the Swiss tennis system and they were just explaining how they keep teenagers involved in tennis. So like pretty simple thing, but they just had some great ideas and the uh, person presenting was really good. And it, sometimes you can look at things like that and go, geez, you know, we could just be doing all of this stuff in Ireland. If we all just got together and, you know, a bit of cooperation, yeah. uh, we could achieve this. Yeah, yeah. Now you, you said that you mentioned you hinted at a little story about your your own oh, sorry yeah 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 um yeah no not a great story basically uh cut a long story short i uh was presenting at it and traditionally you have a big screen behind you with your presentation on it and you have your laptop in front of you so this is like the world conference i was like right i need to make a decent effort so i planned it prepared it practiced it i was full-on ready to go uh turned up to basically find out that they there wasn't a way of having your laptop in front of you. So you just had to rely on what was behind you on the, the kind of big screen. But the problem was the microphone was in a fixed position in front of you. So if you can imagine, I was trying to make a presentation where I'm facing forwards, but my whole presentation is directly behind me and a couple of hundred people in front of me. And at the start, I thought, right, I'll just keep turning around every time the slide changes and then I'll turn back to the microphone. Anyway, I just decided after two minutes that was just mental and I just looked like a crazy person having to constantly turn around. And it was a bit of a disaster how they had set it up. And I just said, right, let's just go for it. And I, I just ended up waffling for 40 minutes. Now, that might totally surprise you because every time you've asked me a question, I've spoken, <laughs> I've just rabbited on. But um, it was incredibly stressful. And uh, it just, 
was a real lesson for me in terms of like preparation, preparation that you, you kind of, whether you're coaching on a court, whether you're standing up, whether you're playing a match, you, that old classic thing of you prepare for the worst. You just, and, and that was a massive learning for me that got through it. And I'd say the people in the audience didn't realize anything had gone wrong, but um, just absolutely that thing of just always assuming that whatever the worst could happen is going to happen and being ready to kind of go for it. And uh, I kind of got my way out of that, but I'll be more ready the next time. Yes. Yeah. And just uh, finally then, um, what's your favorite thing about tennis? Um, I do love the fact that people who play tennis are on their own. I, I love that idea of, uh, and as I say, I work in school and I've lots of friends involved in other sports and I can definitely see the huge benefit of team sports. There is no doubt there's huge benefits to those, but there's something incredible about a player being on a tennis court on their own, solving their own problems and just having to survive. And uh, the fact that tennis doesn't have a final whistle, that that kind of idea that you're there until it ends. And that, so the match is never totally lost, never totally won. And over the years, look, any of us involved in tennis have seen crazy upsets and comebacks and all the rest of it. Um, and just as somebody who works with young people and is involved in school, it's it's a phenomenal learning uh, kind of situation for me to, to put someone on a tennis court and for them to have to stand on their own two feet and maybe argue with an opponent or deal with stress or whatever it might be. So I, I think tennis is a brilliant kind of rep, uh, replica of life in, in many, I know that's going very philosophical on it, but just that thing of, of being on your own and standing up for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Really good. Um, now, David, I, th I think we'll leave it there, taking up enough okay. of your time this evening. Um, I re really appreciate um, the chance to, to talk and, and get your thoughts on on, on on various topics. And I think it, it, and I hope people find it as interesting as I did. Just, yeah, no worries at all. I'm actually uh, delighted to chat. And Camille, thanks a million for all you're doing, because uh, I know lots and lots of people, and we've I've spoken mm -hmm. about it with others who have been listening in, and uh, lots of people you've, you've already spoken to are, are kind of friends and stuff. And uh, everyone's saying great things so fair play to you for doing it appreciate that and, and th thanks for talking again big thanks once again to david for his time i found that to be a, a really thought-provoking chat and it really made me think about how things are done and how things could maybe be done differently uh, please feel free to reach out to to david uh, you can check out his website at bwireland.com and send him an email there or to reach out or to send me an email, um, irishtennisupdates at gmail.com if, if any thoughts came out of this episode that you'd like to share. If you did enjoy this episode, I would ask that you would, would share us, like us, leave a comment or review. It really does help to uh, spread the word and get, get the, the podcast out there. So th thank you in advance for that. And on that note, that is all. I hope you guys are doing okay. And until the next time, I've been Adam and goodbye. <laughs>